Welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. Today, we are honored to hear from pastor, author, and founder of the nonprofit organization Fight to Forgive, Kevin Ramsby, as he has a conversation with our podcast host, McKelty Bloom. In this episode, you will hear Kevin's powerful testimony of God saving his life through a tragedy. He talks about why God lets bad things happen to good people, how to wrestle with God when we feel offended, and about his ministry, Fight to Forgive. As a disclaimer, Kevin will be sharing about an intense act of violence that was done against him. We want to caution listeners to use discretion as this episode may not be suitable for younger ages or those who may be healing from trauma. We pray the Lord speaks to you through this podcast. <laughs> All right, well, we'll just jump okay. into it then. Kevin, right. welcome to the podcast. Great, thank you. It is an incredible honor to have you here. And I think it's really fun because you know Angie Getz, our director from high school. So that's like, I don't want to say way back. I don't know how old you guys are, but. <laughs> it's it was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 10 years ago we were in high school. And so I think that's a super fun connection. And, yep. you know, she came up to me one day and just said, hey, I know somebody that I think would be great for the podcast and his name is Kevin you know here's a link to the, your ministry which we'll talk a lot about today and he has an incredible story you know you should really listen to it and boy was she right I mean I have heard a little bit about your testimony and your story and it truly is one of those situations that it is so intense but it is so just I don't even know the words about you just see God throughout the whole thing yeah. and just this it answers that age-old question of why does God let bad things happen to good people? And on this deeper level of how he can turn just horrific stories into this beautiful ministry and this beautiful purpose. So I am just so excited to talk about this more today and give you this chance to share your story and to dive deeper about just how it's impacted you and your life. And now you guys have used this to this beautiful ministry where you're helping people forgive, which is, I'll be honest, one of the hardest things for humans to do, yeah. I think, sometimes. So thank you for being with me today. And to get us started, why don't you just introduce yourself and tell sure. us a little bit about what life is like for you now? Sure. Well, my name is Kevin Ramsby. I'm married. I've been married for 28 years to my wife, Sarah, and I've got two kids and both graduated from North Central University. So we have been, uh, we pastored for the majority of our ministry for about 24 years in the city of Detroit and we planted churches, ran youth center, went there to work with gangs and a lot of at-risk youth. Um, And so we were there for 24 years, um, best years of our lives. We loved it. And then um, kind of shifted focus for us, went from fat pastoring. um, And about a year and a half ago, we relocated up here in Minnesota Um, after COVID and everything that hit there. We had, we had a kind of a baby church was three years old at the time. And um, when COVID hit, we were, our church met, was portable, met out of Detroit's only movie theater. There's mm-hmm. only one in the entire city of Detroit. Really? Yep. There's That's no, very surprising. No shopping malls, no Walmarts in Detroit, no Targets in Detroit. There's nothing like, it's a, uh, so it was really, we was on a, the racial divide in our city. And mm-hmm. so we rented the theater. And then when COVID hit, we just lost so many 
um, individuals, relatives of family members. And um, we ended up having to make a decision. Do we replant the church in a different community or do we begin to maybe lean in towards uh, something God had put on our hearts that we've kind of connected with our story and testimony, what God has done in our lives. And we kind of made a choice that this was a point in time where God wanted us to shift ministry focus. And so that's where we now have relocated up here and just given birth to a brand new ministry called Fight to Forgive. Mm-hmm. And it is just, it's kind of at the genesis stages in a lot yeah. of it of just like starting out. Very and, much so. <laughs> and it's, I'm really excited just talking with you more of hearing like how it's going to go and just watching it take off because from the sound of it, it's already moving mountains and it's already making some ripple effect. And so that's awesome. But, you know, your story is, like I mentioned earlier, very powerful. And um, just take me back. Let's just start from the beginning sure. of what happened. I'm purposefully not alluding to anything. So people are on the edge of their seats. <laughs> but um, just walk us through your testimony and your sure. story. Well, um, for the most part, what the part of our testimony giving birth to this ministry was um, in 2009 while we were pastoring pastoring in the city our, the church we were pastoring was an old triple x movie theater renovated on one side was a strip club on the other side was a prostitute hotel that was frequent by transvestites and so we were kind of in the heart of a very um, kind of rough area but we lived about a mile from the house and at three in the morning um, a man who was um, high on crack that night um, broke through a window in my home. He was armed with a screwdriver and probably the largest kitchen knife you'd find in a knife block in your kitchen. And um, he climbed through the window and I was awakened. Thankfully, my wife, who was supposed to be there, my kids were supposed to be there that night, night before we changed up plans and we sent them back to Rockford, sent my wife to go pick up my kids, um, our kids in Rockford. And so thankfully she wasn't there. But when hearing the sound of the breaking glass, um, race down the stairs um, to confront whoever it was. And with me running full speed towards him, him running full speeds towards me, we clashed at the bottom of my foot, uh, bottom of my stairs. Um, Really, all I could do at that moment was to just jump to try to tackle the guy. And when I did so, he had a large kitchen knife again, and it, the first stab went to my abdomen and just ripped upwards, created a, about a seven-inch really deep mm. wound to my abdomen. And we fought uh, for a little bit at the bottom of the stairs, fell on the ground. Uh, the man jumped on top of me, straddled me, and just began stabbing me over and over. Was stabbed a total of 37 times mm. through the temple, through my cheek, to my throat, to the chest. Um, uh, the worst were to my spine area and the back of my neck, which I thought I was paralyzed. Mm. And so basically that, 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 attack took place and um and really you know he was just there to rob he wasn't a detroiter so i always say this isn't a detroit thing he was from down south and Mm -hmm. um his story was he was coming up to meet an estranged daughter that he had never met couldn't Mm -hmm. get in touch with her and um basically turned back into drugs and just that night was desperate and broke into my home and so um again the fight ensued and um you know, just it was a real miracle for me to survive. There were so many miracles that took place, yeah. but yeah. And so I had a chance to listen to you describe your story um, a little bit on a different talk show, and 
walk us through then what happened when at one point, you know, this is happening at the front, the foot of the stairs yeah. and you're trying to just grasp it, I'm sure to save your life, but also what is happening. And then he brings you into the kitchen trying to find your car keys. And then what happened in that moment? Yeah. So <laughs> the only thing the man kept saying to me is, where's my keys and my money? And I said, I don't have any money. I'm an inner city pastor. Like, I'm a pastor I'm here. broke. <laughs> um, I told him the keys are in the kitchen. He would go back, look for them. Couldn't find them under a piece of paper. Mm. Um, would come back, stab me again, drag me further, ask again. Kept dragging me to the point where he dragged me to the kitchen. And one last time, he just said, where's the keys? And I I looked up at him, was just ticked off because um, I knew most likely my life was probably over. Um, and I just remember looking up at him saying, it doesn't matter anymore, I'm dead. And um, I closed my eyes, put my head on my kitchen floor and just, I began waiting to die actually. And um, there was a moment where I felt like I was almost like shaken, but just became really alert. And um, at that time, I just remembered like, I need to pray. <laughs> and so um, I started praying and I just, the first thing I prayed was I just, I asked God, I said, God, just let me know that you see me right now. I just wanted him to know that he saw me. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't care about healing. I didn't care about someone helping me. I didn't care about rescuing me. I just wanted to know that God saw me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And because I knew if God saw me and God knew that this, and he wasn't surprised like I was that night, then I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I trust him. Mm -hmm. And um, so I closed my eyes and um, waited for him to kind of give me a sign. I prayed for, I was real specific. I prayed for um, that God would give me like a, even of whether it was a verse or just something I could hold on to. I asked, uh, let me see angels. I don't know why I prayed that prayer. I'm not an angel guy. I didn't know if I was expecting to see some feathers flying around <laughs> or something like that, but I knew what angels were. Yeah. And so I was like, God, this, let me see. And then I prayed, let me see lights. And my wife was like, why would you ever pray for lights? That was the dumbest request ever. <laughs> you're like, you, hey, see, you know, it's my adrenaline is in this yeah. moment. She's like, if you see lights, you're not here anymore. <laughs> I was like, well, I was desperate, but, yeah. um, but I closed my eyes and I waited for God to show me something and he did it and it was really one of the darkest moments of my life because i felt god had abandoned me mm. and um so i just just chalked it up as my life was over and so i began praying my final prayers prayed for my wife um, that morning we had before she had to begin her six-hour drive back to illinois we had a little bit of a disagreement <laughs> it wasn't a disagreement but she was in a hurry she was focused um, I didn't want her to be focused. I wanted to talk and, you know, I wasn't going to see her for a week. And so we were just kind of, I was like, Hey, sir, I'm here. You're leaving. And, um, she was just like, I don't have time right now for anything. Mm -hmm. I have to drive. And so I just remember I'm laying there on the floor and I'm thinking we didn't have any words, but I didn't tell her I loved her that, that mm -hmm. day before she left. And so now I'm sitting there and I'm praying that my final prayers really was that God would let her know how much I loved her. Um, she would never blame herself for anything mm -hmm. either that, you know, just because we left, we didn't just have time to just really properly say goodbye or see each other, but we were just kind of rushed. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wanted God to let her know that, you know, she meant the world to me and um, prayed for my daughter that God would protect her. He would keep her pure, keep every jerk of a boy away from her. <laughs> um, she was nine years old at the time. And then for my son, Noah, who was 12, uh, began praying that God would just, he wouldn't 
get bitter and angry at God for what happened to me. And um, as I was praying for Noah, um, all I can explain is there was, I heard four words that it was like my prayer was interrupted and I was praying for Noah and it was just, they still need you. Mm. And when I heard those words, they still need you. It was, it was really what I needed um, because I knew I had to keep fighting instead of just mm. laying there convinced that, you know, life is, you know, I was blindsided by this. And then I started writing kind of the, the outcome of my story in a sense. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not going to make it, I'm going to die. God, you're going to need to do all this. And when I heard they still need you, I was like, okay, I got to keep fighting. And mm -hmm. so, um, was able to stand up. Um, that's when I found out how much I was wounded. My insides were outside of me. So I had to pick those up, mm -hmm. was able to carry them to a neighbor's porch where, Thankfully, he was there um, to be able to call paramedics, get me to the hospital. And um, I woke up about a week later in the hospital with, after they removed all the tubes and kind of brought me out of the sedation. And I realized I was still here. And so I was really thankful to have um, kind of a second and third chance at life, it seemed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Did you feel in that moment when you were on the ground and you, you heard God's voice? Did it just feel like you were seen then in that moment? Not at that moment. Um, <clears throat> not in that moment. I just, I heard it and was, okay, I just was survival mode. I just, I had to get out of here. I remember getting outside of the door. The man was still in the house. He was upstairs, um, but was able to get to the outside of the door. And I remember my first steps on the sidewalk, actually, when I started yelling out for help. Um, but I remember my, just, just thinking like I might have a chance to live. Mm. So there was a second of hope um, that I had once I made it out of the house. And then then you get to the neighbor's porch and he went, let me in. And then I was like, okay, there's no hope. <laughs> and then it was just, that was a whole debacle. But uh, it was, so it was, it was really kind of a roller coaster, but I didn't really recognize kind of God's presence um, until I woke up and it was almost like I was kind of put it because as I'm laying in the hospital room, I started like almost putting God on trial because hmm. I was like, I don't know if I'll ever preach again, pastor again, because I don't can't tell people to trust him if I can't trust him. Hmm. And I can't tell him if tell people that he's a friend that sticks closer to a brother or he's an ever present help in time of need when he wasn't to me. And so I kind of in the hospital room, that was one of my first struggles was what do I do with God mm. and um, how can I trust him? Can he, can I trust him? And um, he began sending in witnesses one by one to kind of, in a sense, defend himself as I was pretty upset and hurt because I mm -hmm. felt like he, he just was nowhere around in that mm -hmm. moment. And um, he used my wife, the doctors, the police detectives, and just a variety of witnesses to kind of show me that when I felt he was the farthest from me, he was actually closer than I could have ever imagined. And what I prayed for to see a verse or angels or lights, um, that's not what I needed. I needed to make sure that police officers were 90 seconds from me. I need to make sure that my family wasn't there that night. I need to make mm -hmm. sure that the knife broke during the fight. I need to make sure that the the surgeon wasn't on call. He was actually at the hospital at three in the morning. Wow. And there was all of these details that kind of came across. And one of the biggest miracles that took place is they didn't know how I made it from my kitchen to my neighbor's porch, because when they found me, 
they couldn't tell me what race I was and I had to stand up in a big pool of blood. I had to walk through over steps that were covered, but there was no footprints. There was no wow. blood evidence. And it kind of was like, how did you make it? And it kind of was that moment where I was like, I think God was probably closer than mm. I could have imagined. And mm -hmm. that's when God kind of showed me that my issue with him was I asked for a verse, angels and lights, and he didn't give me what I asked for. Mm. But um, so I've learned to kind of be thankful sometimes for unanswered prayers yeah. in my life um, because sometimes those unanswered prayers are because God's working still and he's got something greater ahead. Yeah. And I just think you just painted that beautifully of like, even when we are questioning, where are you, God? He's sitting there waving. Look at where I was. Yeah. I was everywhere. Your wife suddenly wasn't home. You know, you don't know what would have happened there. You don't know all the, the details. And I just think that is yeah such a beautiful picture of how God is in the midst of our in our pains with us, even yeah. if we can't see it. Yep. So how did you kind of come back to grips of? No, God is still good, even though what happened to me wasn't good. Yeah, I think um, I think my wife really helped me because um, as they're all kind of in the hospital, that first days of recovery, mm -hmm. there was a moment they were kind of all waiting for me to kind of see what would I say. You know, no one would bring up anything. And finally, I just started weeping one day and I told Sarah about how what I felt towards God. And I felt like he had abandoned me she, when she shared with me she, how um, like, hold on, don't, don't blame God right now. And she really kind of painted the picture of how our whole family was supposed to be there that night. And, and I, and I kept crying and she was like, why are you crying? And I was like, because I, I gave up I, because mm -hmm. I quit, I was going to quit. And I felt like such a failure for that moment of just giving up and allowing the circumstances to become greater than God or what I saw. And so, and she was just an encourager to just kind of, again, help me see what God protected us from. And though it happened, it was horrible. It could have been a lot worse. And so she kind of helped me to learn how to reframe kind of that story to find God in the middle of the trauma, in the middle of mm -hmm. the pain, because a lot of times when we get blindsided or surprised, especially um, the first thing we do is we kind of remove God from the center and we keep the person or our pain in the center and we focus all on that. And she kind of helped me kind of recalibrate to put the Lord there. And so I think yeah. that was where it began. And then right after that, I kind of, the issue was I knew I had to figure out what am I going to do with this guy? And I didn't know him and never seen him before in my life. Um, but I visually, you know, I can remember every detail from his eyes to grabbing hold of him, from fighting with him. Um, what do I do with this guy now who is forever kind of part of my story and, in, in, you know, kind of embedded in my memory and yeah. life? And so that became that next part of how do we begin to do that? Mm -hmm. And I think your point was really interesting about um, just in that moment, something bad happened and, you know, we're instantly blaming God and in those hard and the blindsidedness. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting how if we're walking into a season where we know it's going to be challenging, like, okay, I'm about to leave this job or we're making a big move or something like that. I feel like we pull closer to God. We're like, okay, give me strength, God, be with us. And we're more prayerful and purpose and, and purposeful in our, our walk with him. But if we're blindsided, it goes to God, how could you? Yeah. Just like that. And I think also what it does is in those blindsided moments, it really, it really reveals kind of like 
the foundation of what you had had what were your what were your priorities or mm. what was your view of God? What was your level of trust in yeah, God before? Yeah. Because it's really now going to be a response. It's mm-hmm. something blindsided. You're going to respond some way, whether it's you fight, whether you flee, whether you get angry. But there's going to be some type of response. And <clears throat> and for me, it it did. It took about a week for me to. But the thing I love about God and what he showed me was he wasn't offended by mm-hmm. me for a whole week blaming him, <laughs> really um, accusing him mm-hmm. of abandoning me and not being a good father. It took me a long time to sing that song, He's a Good Father, because mm. I still wrestled with that in moments because I was like, would a good dad really allow this? Mm-hmm. And um, But I really learned that those responses are really um there you can't prepare for them. Like you said, you could prepare for a transition, yeah. prepare for certain seasons, but a lot of times offenses and wrongs, the things that people do to you, you're not prepared for that. And yeah. so now you, it's who you are is going to really come forth. And, yeah. um, and God revealed a lot of things to me about my walk with him, my personal priorities, and then just really, again, how do I navigate through this? Yeah. I love that. The response the yeah. shows a lot. That's a really good point. Well, so you've had this week and you've wrestled with God. You're kind of coming to these realizations of where he was. But like you said, you've got this other guy to deal with now. And what happened there? I'm sure everyone is wondering, <laughs> you know, did they catch him? What happened? Yeah, he he got caught about three months later in down south. Um, so we, you know, in the hospital room, I kind of I made an initial decision. Like I knew I needed to forgive this guy because it's what Christians do. <laughs> We're supposed to forgive. So I quickly said I forgave uh, the man. I told him and a couple of other people that, like, I know I need to forgive. I'm going to I forgive this guy. And then um, and it kind of was like, OK, it's over. I forgave him and we're just going to move on. But after about a month later, we returned to my house. We had to return to our home, which mm-hmm. was where all this happened. He was still on the run and we would get crazy things. We'd have people drop off anonymous letters, some weird like necklaces people would make on the street as a gift to us saying they're sorry that they didn't turn them in and they're sorry that all this other stuff. So we're like, okay, he's around here still. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went back to the house and um, then I began to really, things kind of went south for me for about a two month period because I began looking for him because the police were trying to find him. But I was, I didn't know what they were working on. So I began, I, they did tell me his name. So I knew who we were looking for at that time, but I began searching the internet, looking one day I found him, um, that he came across, there's a website called classmates.com and it's where you can look up old high school people like so you can go back and look at my graduation class from 1990 and there's people registered and you reconnect with people in your high school whatever year you graduate from well we found i found a post that he made and this is two months after the attack and they i could pay five dollars to pay for a search that tells me where he was from and when I pulled it up, I knew he didn't live in Michigan. I knew he lived down south. But the little area showed up was two miles from my house. Wow. And so when that happened, um, I loaded up my car with some things to go look for him. And basically went through a month's worth of time. I was just 
obsessed with revenge, wanting to find him, wanting justice, wanting to hurt him, um, and just kept reliving the hurt and the trauma. Yeah, it just it didn't go away. And then the, you start seeing the ripple effects of not just him and what he did, but then what he created in our lives, the fear of my kids, um, the impact mm. it was taking on us financially and just every area of our life was impacted. And so everywhere I looked, I'm reminded of this guy's actions and what he cr did. So um, I, that's where I learned that forgiveness. It's not even just that it's a one time thing, but there's so many things that you have to keep forgiving even from one offense and it's the act, mm. but then all the impact and the hurt that is also created, you have to deal with those issues too. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that kind of all came to a kind of a head when I was driving home one day from a therapy, I had five months of therapy, um, like four days a week. And one day I was home and I just kind of, heard this voice it was just like you need to end your life and mm. i just had this thought of just i need to drive my car up against the overpass just be done with it and and i broke down i was like why am i why would i kill myself if i've survived mm. and um and that's when god really kind of showed me that it's it was yes i said the words i forgive because I had been forgiven by God, that was my, the motivation. That was, it was an obedience. It was a head forgiveness, but I hadn't really experienced forgiveness from the heart in a sense of, I had to keep forgiving every time something came up and mm -hmm. it started that it was a root of bitterness that began growing. And that's when I realized like, okay, I've got to, there's something that's going on in me that I have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that moment was kind of a, pivotal moment where I said, okay, I've got to start fighting to forgive. And that's where we kind of launched the name of the ministry fight to forgive As people say, sometimes it's a choice, it's a process. And for me, it really becomes, especially if you've had trauma or if you've been hurt or wounded by people that you're in close relationship yeah. with, it's easy yeah. for me to forgive this guy because I didn't know him. I didn't have history with him. I never had to see him again, except for court, but it's a lot more difficult if you've been betrayed by a spouse, a husband, someone that you have trust and intimacy with and closeness with. That is a way more difficult fight to forgive people like that. So um, that's kind of, so we wrestled with it and really that's what we've been living out for the last mm -hmm. many years is just really it's the continuous death fight to forgive and then get to the place where you finally feel like okay I, i've won that fight doesn't mean that i'm not going to have to forgive him again but now mm -hmm. we can start helping and equip others to do the same have you heard of the BTG Leadership Conference? Bridging the Gap believes every woman is a potential leader, and we have designed this conference to invest in your leadership development. Whether you are an experienced marketplace, ministry, or community leader who is wanting to continue to grow, or you would like to begin developing skills and networks as a future leader, this almost 24-hour event is for you. Mark your calendar for February 9th and 10th, 2024 at Lake Geneva Christian Center in Alexandria, Minnesota. We'll have main sessions with speaker, pastor, and writer Portia Allen, multiple workshops, story time with Pamela Steinle, networking opportunities, exhibitors, and fun, all to encourage your leadership potential. In addition to our regular cozy up north activities, we're adding a horse-drawn wagon shuttle to the bridge shop. We'll also have the breakfast buzz, bingo, and you can get your headshot updated by a photographer. It's going to be a power-packed, fabulous event that you and your team won't want to miss. This year, you can also extend your stay by adding Thursday and 
or Saturday night lodging onto your ticket. This opportunity allows for more time for reflection and strategizing with your team or simply for extra rest. Register individually or as a group at mnbtg.org slash leadership. That's mnbtg.org slash leadership. We'll see you there. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I just I feel like sometimes the narrative is, oh, you just decided to forgive someone and you're you're free. And I truly believe, yes, forgiveness equals freedom. But in some people, I also believe that God can remove that in a second. He, I know he can do it. But for others, it takes a while. It is, like you said, this repeated process of every time there's that bitterness, that anger, frustration, betrayal, you have to forgive again. So what were some practical strategies that you actually used in those moments where you're like, oh, I, I'm feeling that bitterness and I'm feeling that anger? Yeah, I and I'm speaking as a pastor because I've preached on every pastor preaches almost like a sermon series a year on forgiveness. Right. And now you're faced with it in yeah. real life. And in so the moment. Yeah. I, I really was convicted because I felt like I've I really did a disservice to our people because I just find forgiveness is it's a choice. Mm. It's a process. Um, it's it's something you do out of obedience. And it, I've just made it like and we have so many people in our church because now I was one of them mm. <laughs> where I'm sitting here going like, okay, well I chose, but it didn't work. Mm. It's a process. It takes time. Well, it's been years and I'm still struggling. What's so it makes me go, what's wrong with me? And I think what's happened is there was some, uh, there was some flaws, I think, in how we look at forgiveness. And so one of the statements that my counselor took me through and he said to undo trauma, wrongs and wounds created by another, you have to have an equal or greater experiential moment. Hmm. And so for me, so if you think about it, here's the guy, here's the forgiveness, the record of wrongs. I got to forgive this guy. He nearly murdered me but didn't stop there. Then there was the years of all the st- impact that came. We lost everything. We had to move financially. We lost everything. I have four feet of scars all over my body that remind me my kids' innocence were stolen. We had to move four times in five years. We lost our home. We lost relationships over this. I mean, the impact is like this. It's huge. Yeah. It's this. And so, and what we do is we say, forgive, just choose to forgive. <laughs> And like, and so that statement of you need to have an experiential moment that's equal or greater to that trauma or that record of wrongs. And so, so I realized that forgiveness, it really is, first of all, it's a response and it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a choice. Like, can I forgive? Can I, do I need to forgive? I mean, if you're a Christian, a believer, you have to, it's, you're a Christian, you, you forgive. And so it's, forgiveness is supposed to be a response to the cross. And that's what I did. Um, in the hospital room, I knew I had been forgiven much and therefore I forgave. And so there was an experiential moment where I I did that. But what I didn't know is I wasn't equipped to keep forgiving. Mm. And I think that's where the disciples, the disciples always, the question that's repeatedly asked over in the scriptures over and over and over again is how many times, Mm. how many times do I got to keep forgiving? Because I think what happened is there was an experience, there was a moment of forgiveness but they didn't know what to do afterwards because they faced the still triggers and those issues and there was challenges. And so they would forgive and they would forgive again, but they're always looking for like, how long do I got to keep forgiving? And so what we kind of, what I discovered was that we really came up with, there was about 12 forgiveness principles that we had to walk through that I really had to be equipped on. You know, one of them was equipped, you know, was the first part as trusting God, you know, because, 
ultimately you're going to have to entrust these people to God. Um, you're going to have to, you, your side of the story might not be told. No one's going to understand and you might feel like they're getting away or, and so if that's what you're focused on, you're going to always find yourself getting tripped back up and almost like I, I can't forgive fully because of the, and so how do you do that? You're going to have to learn to try, trust God. Um, we learned that you had to learn to treat the wounds. And so many times I think for us, we're into the miraculous where we want instant healings, yeah. we healing now. And what I've discovered is oftentimes God doesn't heal quickly. He heals slowly. Mm. And so, what we had to do is learn how to treat the wounds. And for me, I physically had to see that process because of an infection that took place in our in my abdomen. They had to leave all of my wounds open in my abdomens, which was like, you know, almost two feet of scar was just left open. And my wife had to pack me every day, twice a day. And I had to watch my body heal from the inside out. And so it gave me a great picture of the body was designed, the physical body was designed to heal itself. And I think spiritually, the body of Christ has been designed to heal itself. Mm -hmm. And so we had to learn what it meant to be connected to a life-giving church. Yeah. Um, I can tell you my pastor at that time, um, I was the executive pastor. My lead pastor was Pastor Tim Delina. Um, and every sermon he preached was like, it was like he was treating my wounds mm. and it was applying the word of God constantly and reapplying it day and night was a, such a huge part of how do you treat the wounds. Um, so we've kind of discovered there was these multiple kind of things that we had to be equipped to do from how do you reframe your story? How do you put God in the center of your story for me? Um, when it came to the sentencing time for my attacker, I refused to give a a victim statement. Instead, I created a life statement. Hmm. And what I did, it was from the story of Joseph, where I put God in the center of my story instead of making that victim become the center or my pain the center of my story. I put God in the center and allowed him and allowed the Holy Spirit to really reveal all of the good that he was beginning to bring out of it at that time, which mm -hmm. was just a couple years after the fact. But since then, we can add to that list. And so um, those are just some of the principles we learned about, you know, really there's some things that you just need to be equipped in how to keep forgiving because forgiveness is really it's a lifetime sentence. You don't do it just mm -hmm. once. You're probably going to have to do it over and over and over again. Certain anniversary dates, the holidays yeah. are coming up. Yeah. It's going to be a trigger. Those wounds, what could have been, the fears. How do you deal with the fears of the unknown for the future? How do you deal with those? So, um, that's part of what we do as a ministry. Is we've kind of created a, a forgiveness masterclass type of thing, which is really a, an equipping course that we really want to help equip the body of Christ to be able to heal and, and really grasp. What is biblical forgiveness? What is forgiving just as God in Christ forgives you looks like? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's that's kind of what our mission is, is to mm -hmm. help the church to not only know what the Bible says, but I think through our testimony, what we've walked through, we can actually become a little bit of a, a visual testimony, a little bit, hopefully, of what um, that Christ-like forgiveness looks like. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us have had to do those moments of, you know, I need to forgive. And you have that forgiveness in your heart and in your mind. Do you think it's harder to then actually verbalize it to someone who has hurt you to say, I forgive you? Yeah, but I don't think 
I don't think that is has to do often. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's moment. I think verbalizing, I forgive you to the person. I think the only time that that is truly necessary, probably. Now, I want to say all the time is if you're wanting to pursue reconciliation. Mm, that's a good point. Because reconciliation takes two. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness just takes one. Mm. So for the one who's been hurt or wronged, you have to forgive. That's your side. Mm-hmm. The one who's been the offender, they have to now own up to it. Mm. They have to apologize. They have to make amends. They have to, in a sense, repent. They have to now promise to never hurt you again to the best of God's way. They have to now really do their part so that there can begin to be a realignment of a relationship. And if they don't do their part and you're not realigned correctly, you can't reconcile, but you definitely have to forgive. So for me, I didn't, I know forgiveness from the heart that's what i think in matthew 18 where it talks about um the consequences if you don't forgive mm-hmm. but it ends with there in matthew 18 it talks about if you don't fully forgive from your heart don't say forgive from your mouth mm. it's from your heart and i think if you can get to the place where you know in your heart you've fully forgiven you don't have to necessarily go to that person because Some, sometimes letting them know is they don't even know what they did. Mm. And it's almost like sometimes it can be a passive aggressive little dig. Like, I forgive you. Well, for what? Mm. (laughs) You know, Jesus said, start something. You know, like Jesus said, I forgive, forgive them for they know not what they do. They didn't know what they were doing. Mm. And he was praying for forgiveness. Mm. And, And so sometimes people hurt us and wrong us. And in their minds, they have no idea what they're creating or how much it's impacting us. They don't understand it. And so, yes, we still need to forgive them, but they might not understand even that need for you to forgive me. (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever have the opportunity to tell this guy that you forgave him? Yeah, it was part of my life statement when at the sentencing where, you know, I said it that I forgave him. And then I I reached out to him and said that at some point, if he wants to make a turn in his life, that I would be someone who would be in his corner, would be willing to. in a sense, to be a friend. And so, uh, and then once he was sentenced, went away, I'd probably say a couple months later, I actually wrote him and kind of reaffirmed what I said in my statement. And from then we've had correspondence ever since wow. 2012 um, with him serving his prison sentence. Hmm. Do you think that's been helpful for him? Um, it's a weird relationship, that's for <laughs> sure. Um, I, it has in some ways. I think he's been able to see, understand um, a little bit more of God's forgiveness. Um, but because we don't have history in relationship, the only thing, our starting point in relationship is that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he still struggles so much with forgiving himself. He doesn't, his family has disowned him. I'm one of the only people that he can write and contact. Mm-hmm. And so you, it's there's a lot of brokenness in his life. So it's not like a real healthy dynamics, but we do correspond, pray with them and mm-hmm. want to minister, but it, it definitely is a different relationship. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would be quite, a, yeah, that's a very different relationship. You, um, you have a, a video that I was watching and one of the things you quoted, I hope I quoted this correctly. God never directs through fear. God only leads by peace. 
Can you tell me a little bit where that came from and what that means to you? Yeah. Um, in Romans 8, it talks about there, it talks about being given over again to a sl- a slavery into a spirit of fear. And then it talks about how, because we've been adopted, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And so uh, for me, one of the fear was one of my greatest enemies. Oh. And it wasn't just a fear of being attacked again, but it was the fear of the unknown future. It was the fear of tomorrow. It was the fear of what's going to happen down in the line, what life is going to look like. But fear was probably one of my greatest enemies. And because of that, the temptation is always to respond to that fear. It's it's almost like you're leaning on your own understanding. It's like, I'm afraid of. And so you try to work really hard to figure out things to protect yourself. And you begin making life decisions based on that fear. And so for me, what happened is part of my one of those principles is walking in your identity as a child of God. And for me, it was I had to remember that I'm a son. He's a good father. He loves me. And my father's never going to direct me by creating fear in my life as as being used to what determines what path I should go mm. down. The Holy Spirit always guides by a peace. Mm. And so for me, whenever I faced those moments where fear became great or I knew it was present and I had to recognize fear is a spirit. Mm. It's not just an emotion. Yeah. So it's a spiritual enemy. So you have to fight a spiritual enemy with spiritual weapons. And part of that, how you fight a spirit of fear is understanding that the spirit of adoption, that you're a child of God, that he loves you. He doesn't want to harm you. He's got a hope for in a future for you. So whenever fear began to kind of come and try to steer me, um, it was a trigger to let me know, okay, this is where I have to lean into my identity as a son or, Mm -hmm. you know, for some as a daughter of God. And so whenever I wanted to make a decision of what path or what route or what door do I walk through, is it if it's based on fear, that's not the Lord or the Holy Spirit guiding mm-hmm. me. If it if there was a peace, then I could go. So we moved back to that house that I almost died in for a year. Mm-hmm. And then there came a point in time where I was like, I can't I'm not it's not that I'm afraid of being here, but I no longer had a peace there. Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. we needed a home, not yeah. a house to live in. Yeah. And so there came a point in time where I was like, OK, God, after a year, we had a peace that, you know what, we need to move up. We need to find a new home and we need to make a start from here, even though it meant leaving the neighborhood that we lived in, the community we are part of, the community that our church was part of. We made we the Holy Spirit with through peace guided us. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, your story truly is just a beacon of just hope and and faith and just how God is so present, even in the midst of, of trauma and chaos and all of that. And so I want to kind of end here hearing a little bit more about your ministry. So Fight to Forgive, sure. you know, I love that you guys started it. And like we said at the beginning, it's kind of in the in the beginning of the works and stuff. But what have you guys done so far? Yeah. So, I mean, really, it's been a cumulative of you know, for us, it's not like we just decided to start a ministry. We've had to walk it and live it now for um, since 2009 for 14 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so and then being in inner city of Detroit, where we pastor predominantly in African-American communities, we dealt with racial tensions, the racial aspect of mm-hmm. forgiveness and reconciliation. So we have a lot of this history of working with people. So when we launched Fight to Forgive, obviously, we kind of really initially launched it 
our goal is, and you know, we do travel around the country and share our story at different services. But our passion is to equip people to forgive, and so we've we're just getting ready to launch here, and we'll start scheduling for 2024 um, what we call the Forgiveness Experience Seminar, mm-hmm. and it's a place that we it's literally is geared to be a spirit-led experience that leads people from a moment of beginning with worship and leads them to a definitive experiential moment where they can say, I have forgiven this person. Mm -hmm. And we allow the Holy Spirit to guide them through the story of their life to kind of see where is the, what is the deepest root? What is the root of bitterness? What is, because oftentimes we look at all these relationships that we have problems with, but it's all attached as a root system to usually a core, a father wound, a wound in their childhood or some type of an abuse or, you know, or some traumatic event. So we help people through the Holy Spirit kind of go through that experiential moment to discover what it is, lead them to that moment. And then from there, we kind of, um, like I said, we have this forgiveness masterclass that we allow people to go through. And then, so our prayer is that God would just kind of continue leading us through ministries and how we can serve pastors and congregations in this area so that we can see pastoral staffs who are kind of have people come in from outside of the community that, but they've, they're coming from bad experiences. It's how to equip leaders to lead healthy, but then also congregations to have them, you know, because they're full of people coming from church after hurt, from church hurt, and then they're in a new yeah. place, and now you got a bunch of hurt and wounded people. Yeah. We've got to deal with this. Our goal is to serve pastors in that area, and then our outreach effort really is um, is to the prisons, and mm-hmm. we're, we've got some incredible doors that have been opened our forgiveness course. We haven't really launched it in churches so much as we have in prisons, but in four months it's been viewed a quarter of a million times by inmates. And then we will be going in two weeks to Texas death row um, to -hmm. do a week's worth of forgiveness seminars um, on death row and with the uh, prisons in Texas. Um, And it's just our passion there is to help lead people to the forgiveness of God, but then equip them to also forgive themselves and to forgive others. And so really our heart then is to reach those um, people in the prisons, just like my attacker. Yeah. Wow. Well, that that is an incredible ministry to come and in the yeah. works for sure. So just wishing you guys the best. I in appreciate that. it. Thanks that's, so much. That's awesome. So any final thoughts before we wrap up today? I'm just so appreciative of you sharing all of this and being here. Well, we appreciate your ministry, the district ministry in Minnesota, it's it's had a reputation. As we were in Michigan, we've heard so much about this. So we're mm-hmm. excited to be part of the district and mm-hmm. just if we can ever serve any anyone in any capacity, that's that's what we're here for our hearts to serve. Oh, good. Well, and we'll make sure to link all of your um, contact information and, and things like that into the show notes so that people can look into you. And you have a book out as well. I for, totally forgot to mention that. And it's Fight to Forgive, correct? Yep. 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 So I would highly recommend checking out that book. We'll also link it into the show notes. And Amazon, is that yep. where you can get it? Yep, you can get that there. All right, so look on Amazon for it. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much, appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bridging the Gap podcast. We were honored to hear from Kevin Ramsby on a story of faith and forgiveness. Learn more about the impactful ministry of Fight to Forgive and find his masterclass curriculum at fighttoforgive.com. You can get a copy of Kevin's book on Amazon. The title is A Fight to Forgive, How to Turn Man's Wrongs and Your Hurts into His Greater Purpose. You can follow Kevin Ramsby on Instagram and Kevin Sarah Ramsby on Facebook. You can also learn more about Bridging the Gap 
app at mnbtg.org, by downloading the Bridge in the Gap app through your app store, and by following MNBTG on social media. We also want to invite you to take a moment to rate and review this podcast to help others find this resource as well. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you next time on the Bridge in the Gap podcast.